What's up, everyone? How's it going out there in podcast land? We hope you had a really wonderful Thanksgiving. And now we draw your attention to our show. This, this, folks, is the big one. We've been waiting since episode one to do this episode, and now it's finally here. We are going to uncover the mystery wrapped in, a, in an enigma bound inside a conundrum known as Mr. Tommy Wiseau. This is a this is a very special um, episode, movie, whatever you want to call it. This is <laughs> this is one for the books. And uh, if oh, you've yeah. seen this movie, um, you know it it will never leave you. Absolutely. Absolutely. The movie we are, of course, talking about is the cinematic classic. Yes, you can actually call it a classic nowadays. The Room. This has been called the Citizen Kane of bad movies. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's been played a few times on Adult Swim on April Fool's. Uh, it's been shown around the country and around the world in midnight showings, much like uh, another infamously bad movie. And uh, also like that movie, um, audience uh, participation is encouraged. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Folks, this is our generation's equivalent of Rocky Horror Picture Show. It really is in more ways than one. You are encouraged to talk back to the screen any chance you get. You are encouraged to dress up as your favorite character. And you are encouraged to bring as many plastic spoons and footballs as you like. Obviously more on that later. And also like uh, Rocky Horror. And I... It does help for you to watch the movie in the first place so you can understand all the jokes and just experience the sheer art of the room. Absolutely. So this is this is questions like this and this is Tommy Wiseau. So let's let's begin. Who exactly is this guy? Yeah, um, we're asking all the questions this week. The who, the what, the where, the how, the when, and most importantly, the why. And uh, yeah, let's start off with just who is this Tommy Wiseau character? Um, And he is quite the character. Uh, Yes. First off, uh, undefinable accent. (laughs) He's... um, He's so mysterious. Um, even his, uh, I, I guess they're friends, right? Oh, well, they are. They yeah. Are. Uh, his uh, his close friend <laughs> Greg Sestero um, cannot pinpoint where exactly Tommy Wiseau is from. Right. He he once described Tommy's accent as. A very Eastern European that got hit by a Parisian bus. Yeah, 
Um, and there's uh, there's there's a million conflicting stories, most of which propagated by Wiseau himself. Um, Mm-hmm. He claims to have lived in France, but he also said he grew up somewhere around New Orleans. And uh, mm-hmm. apparently he's got family in Louisiana. Um, mm-hmm. There's also he he was possibly born in an eastern Bloc country somewhere. Or, uh, yeah, apparently he's uh, Polish or some other undefined uh, location. But... Really, where he's from is is almost uh, unimportant as to what he's done when he's uh, eventually uh, gone to his uh, base of San Francisco, California, where, um... <laughs> oh boy. Oh my God. <laughs> San Francisco, I'm sorry that this man has will forever be associated with your city. Or or now that the disaster artist is a, a giant success, maybe it's a good thing that he's associated with your city. Yeah. Um, again, according to Sestero, um, Wiseau has been working, he, he's worked a variety of jobs in SF, uh, Everything from busboy, uh, hospital worker to uh, this is interesting. His uh, his business. <laughs> oh yeah, he uh, once. Uh, I don't know if he still owns it or not, but he once uh, owned his own business called Street Fashions USA, in which he sold uh, irregular blue jeans at discounted prices. Yeah, and apparently he made enough money so that he could have big retail spaces in and around San Francisco and Los Angeles, and this mm-hmm. led to him becoming independently wealthy. But, um, but is that? But is that? I mean, is that even true? Yeah. No, I mean, it's not like you get a straight answer from the man himself. Yeah, and even his friend uh, admits it's uh, it's pretty Im- implausible. Uh, yeah, I'll say so. <laughs> so uh, we'll get we'll get to uh, the the I guess the why of the room later, but uh, there's some theories. <laughs> there's a lot of theories, and my favorite theory about why the room was made was was this um it's been chronicled in the in Cicero's book uh, the disaster artist apparently he took uh tommy weiss so well first off let me just uh let me just say that uh first uh, they first met back in uh, 1998 at a at an acting class they actually met at the uh gene shelton uh, uh acting academy in san francisco and Cicero was just drawn to Wiseau's natural confidence. Is that what? <laughs> is that the word I'm looking for? He, I mean, he's he he's got an aura about him. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I mean, you've seen him in person. I have not. 
Oh my god, that that's a story I'll get to later, folks. But yes, I have seen uh, <clears throat> I have seen Tommy Wiseau in person. Same with Greg Sestero, and yes, Tommy Wiseau is as advertised. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so at some point in Tommy Wiseau's life, uh, he was involved in a car accident, and. Mm-hmm. During his hospitalization, I guess he had a sort of epiphany or kind of like, uh, well, uh, I guess it's time for me to realize my dreams, having such a close brush with uh, with fate. So this kind of started him off on the road to uh, becoming an actor and, well, creating the room. Creating the room, and like I said before, my favorite theory on why the room was uh, was created was um, Greg Sestero had taken a, a Tommy Wiseau to see the movie, uh, the actually critically acclaimed movie, uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, starring uh, Jude Law and Matt Damon, and Wiseau was so taken with it that he basically. <laughs> basically decided to create his own version of the talented Mr. Ripley in which he plays a banker named Johnny and uh, Greg plays uh, his best friend, Mark. The reason why he's called Mark is because... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what he... The reason why he's called Mark is he once said to Greg... Like I'm gonna make this movie, and you will, your character will be named Mark, like the actor Mark Damon. And that's just, uh, that's just the beginning. <laughs> oh, that is definitely just the beginning. Um, apparently, the original script, script, you want to call it that? Um, uh, apparently, it was over. Sure. Like, <laughs> apparently, the original script was like over. God, like. 500 pages long. Yeah, and uh, it started out, um, well, started out either as a play or a book or whatever, and uh, finally he decided to turn it into a movie. Mm-hmm. In which he would have complete creative control. He wrote it, he produced it, he directed it, and he starred in it. Yes. It sounds like we have a modern day Orson Welles on our hands, kind of. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Oh, boy. So, this movie, well, once you see it, um, you'll you'll probably wonder how. But this movie was made on a budget of around $6 million. Mm -hmm. Which, again, if you've seen it, doesn't look like six million dollars. Doesn't right. look like a, doesn't look like a million bucks. <laughs> no, but somehow this movie got made, and somehow Tommy Wiseau himself he used his own money for this. <laughs> he used his own money to somehow drag up six million dollars, <laughs> um, and they filmed it entirely or maybe not entirely a lot of uh exteriors were filmed uh, 
on location in San Francisco, but they filmed it in a uh, film lot uh, owned by a couple of uh, lawyers named uh, Burns and Sawyer. And, oh boy, uh, to say this uh, production was minimal at best would be an understatement. What's also incredible is that the cast turnover, the cast and crew turnover is apparently, well, they went through several people even before the cameras started rolling. Uh, uh-huh. Each cast member had several understudies, which, um, <laughs> again, unnecessary. <laughs> and uh, quite a quite a few incredibly poor decisions. Oh, God. Like uh, buying unnecessary equipment, um, building oh, sets. Oh, no, no. oh, my God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sorry. Hang on. Uh, his decision to use both uh, a 35mm and high-def video simultaneously. Yeah. Just, uh, just... <laughs> what? What? Just... What? What? I mean, even back in the days of, you know, when the big-time studios were switching over to CinemaScope... They at least had the courtesy to use a uh, use one take for regular film. When the take was over, physically take the camera off and then shoot it in CinemaScope. Yeah. Apparently, this came out of a desire for from uh, Tommy wanting to be the first person to uh, shoot simultaneously in two formats. But, yeah, uh, they didn't even use the HD footage. Well, looking at the film, can you blame them? Yeah, so. You want to see his ass in high definition? Yeah, uh, (laughs) it's a hard no. Oh, God. And you mentioned the, uh, the construction of sets. Yes. Oh my god. Apparently there's several scenes that take place in an, in an alley. <clears throat> and apparently right next to the Burns and Sawyer lot was an actual alley that they could use. And it looked good, looked authentic enough. But Tommy Wiseau had the brilliant idea to actually construct an alley inside the film lot. Yeah. Um, the waste. The, <laughs> the waste. You, you, you would have saved, you would have saved at least a couple million dollars. Yeah. And uh, to, uh, to address this uh, cast turnover rate, Originally, so, okay, one of the characters is um, Lisa, who is the fiancé, and uh, in the the final cut, 
she is played by Juliet Danielle. Mm-hmm. But in production, there was another actress who apparently is as much of an enigma as Wiseau himself, and the actress left production. So uh, D- Danielle had to be brought in, who was uh, off the bus from Texas, as it were. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great uh, great start to your career there. <laughs> great start to your career. Just fresh off the bus from Texas, and you make this movie. According to... Uh, well, there's different... Again, there's there's all kinds of stories floating around, but as Sestero said, um, the sex scenes were filmed last, but uh, Greg Ellery said um, the first scene that Wiseau and Danielle did was a love scene. And no. Well, if you've seen that, um, it's no. all kinds of uncomfortable. Oh, it's... It's six degrees of what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> um yes, that infamous sex scene. Sorry, multiple multiple sex scenes. Multiple sex scenes which... with uh R and B music. <laughs> if you can call it that. No, I, no, I can't call it that. Come on. You're disgracing the good name of R and B by <laughs> calling it that. I, I have no idea what that was, but apparently it was just Sounds like some something somebody threw together on a on a garage band. You know what's actually disappointing? What? I, I looked it up. Um, a music professor from Loyola Marymount wrote the music. Oh my god! Including all of the shitty. Uh, Oh, no. Th- th- those shitty uh, garage band songs. <laughs> no, no, please, no. <laughs> Come on, man. Seriously? Is LMU treating you that poorly? I guess so. This is... Uh... <laughs> yeah. We can't, expl- we can't even explain what this movie is. No, no, we can't. Um, here's the basic plot. So, like I said, Tommy Wiseau plays a successful banker named Johnny. Uh, Greg, Greg Sestero plays his best friend, Mark. Juliet Danielle plays Lisa, who's Johnny's fiance. And everything seems to be going well, but then she repeatedly cheats on Johnny with Mark. Um, and... Movie progresses, tensions mount, and it ends with uh, Johnny, like, so overcome with emotion, so overcome at this indignity that he winds up killing himself. Okay, on paper, that doesn't sound like a bad movie, right? I mean, there's plenty of... No, 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 no. There's plenty of... uh, (laughs) There's plenty of elements of, like, good drama or even you know, suspense or, or, or thriller or whatever. But mm-hmm. just, there's a, well, okay, y- you explain. Oh, oh, my God. So this movie 
would have just been considered just another another like flash in the pan a uh, typical love triangle movie if it did not have its one redeeming quality or if i could even call it redeeming which is the quote unquote acting of Tommy Wiseau in which he struggles to act out the words that he himself wrote. We'll get to some scenes. We'll get to some of the scenes in a minute, but I just want to briefly mention the quote unquote other characters. um, The other like one note characters that appear in this film who offer like no redeeming quality whatsoever. And you know what they're immediately about the second they show up on screen like the character of Denny who oh my god I don't know how to explain this guy apparently he's supposed to be a teenager who is good friends with uh, uh, Johnny, Lisa, and Mark but he comes off like this incredibly creepy future pedophile yeah ostensibly he's just a kid or young but something about him is just really off uh you want to know something even stranger uh the guy that played him was actually in his mid-20s uh yeah classic uh classic dawson casting right there (laughs) Uh, yes yes then you have other characters like uh, like Mike and Michelle for example who are boyfriend and girlfriend and there's one scene where they literally sneak into (laughs) Johnny and Lisa's home to have sex and that's it can you explain that because I certainly as hell can't I I have no idea, and uh, let's let's bring in Lisa's mother, who oh my god, <laughs> who uh, yes, Lisa's mother, who uh, will constantly berate Lisa any chance she gets for not being faithful to Johnny, even though Lisa is clearly not interested in Johnny, and the fact that Lisa's mother very just casually mentions like you know the line is you know i get the test back i definitely have breast cancer anyway how's your sex life (laughs) anyway how's your sex life yeah that's how brief it is people that's how brief it is the fact that lisa's mother can just casually mention she has breast cancer and then it's never mentioned again at all throughout the entirety of the film yeah, um, introducing and immediately dropping, uh, I don't know, facts or details or even threads, I guess, is a recurring theme in The Room. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wait, sorry. There's one more character I got to mention. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe... Uh... Maybe uh, Tommy Wiseau was watching old film noir, but he conceived the character of this drug dealer named 
Chris R, the uh, imaginatively creative name of Chris R, because reasons. Yeah, who's... Uh... Whose only point is to, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I, well, the only reason he's in the movie ostensibly is that I guess Denny has some sort of drug problem. Which has never been mentioned before and will never be, will never be mentioned again. And yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't even think Chris R. interacts with anyone else. Uh, he does not. It was just He's one not. scene where he shows up, threatens Denny, and that's it. Uh-huh. And give the give the man credit. He actually is pretty convincing in the role. <laughs> There's a... Well, perhaps they just invited a real-life drug dealer to... No, no. <laughs> to step in. And... No, apparently this... No, apparently this guy was a very, very successful... Uh, Motivational speaker. Oh God. <laughs> yes, and apparently he uh, he was so thrilled about uh, the role, but like he actually actually committed to it. Oh boy. Oh my God! But let's just say this production was beset with numerous problems, so much so that. Several cast and crew members actually walked out and had to be replaced at the eleventh hour. Yeah, we we already talked about how uh, Lisa was originally played by someone else, but man, just the nightmare right. that was going on behind the scenes can the give uh, just... can give uh, Apocalypse Now a run for its money. Oh yeah, I'll say. Compared to this, Apocalypse Now was a cakewalk. <laughs> but no, it was like it was like you know they had to spend like you know they they spent so many hours there just waiting for Tommy Wiseau to show up because evidently, according to the book, he was usually about three to four hours late each day of production, and when when he would show up. He would berate the cast and crew for not showing up on time. Yeah, and then when the cameras actually started rolling, it would take uh, it would take Mister Wiseau quite a while to uh, deliver the lines and uh, remember what the fuck he wrote. Right, it's like you would think that because you because you wrote it, you'd be more connected with your character with your dialogue, but. No, this man needed at least like 45 takes for each scene he was in. And he's the main character. And what a character Johnny is. Uh, I feel like his character is just an alien who crash-landed onto Earth somehow inhabited the the soul of this poor man and just kept just kept saying to himself okay stay calm this is how humans act right yeah that's that's what i think of it's like it's kind of like that david bowie movie except extremely bad 
an alien who <laughs> fell to earth and uh, had That's to right. pretend to be human. And uh, in the case of Johnny, fails extremely badly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Let's uh, um, let, let's quote exam- some of the classics, some of the some of the all time classics from this movie. <laughs> yes. So, for example, there is one scene where Lisa falsely accuses Johnny of assaulting her, like physically assaulting her, and Johnny finds out, and he's so upset. He goes to the roof of his uh, of his house of, of his house and says with the utmost sincerity, it's like it's like I did not hit her. I did not do it. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh hi, Mark. That's just one thing. Um, and then they also uh, toss around a football on the roof. That's. Uh... And if you hear the uh, commentary, apparently it's oh, because no. uh, Tommy thought it was football is cool. Football is cool, even though the man had no idea how to throw football. Yeah. Uh, it's painful, and actually, wait, there's, watching there's him one... throw. Yes, there are... <laughs> uh, folks, if you don't know who Johnny Manziel is he was the former quarterback of the Cleveland Browns who uh, turned out to be a great college player, turned out to be a giant bust in the pros because he was a pretty big partier. Even he would laugh at Johnny's uh, attempt to throw a football. And this scene goes on for way too long. Mm-hmm. And wait a minute, hold on. There's also one scene where they uh, they toss around a football in the alley, but they're in tuxes. Yeah, which... Oh, man. I don't even remember why they're in tuxes. There's no point. I, I, I really don't think there's any point. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really don't think there's any point. You're playing football in tuxes. First off, why are you wearing tuxes? Are you going to a wedding? Are you attending some like fancy gala or something? Why the hell are you wearing a tux? Why are you in a tux in an alley? Jesus. Why are you in a tux in an alley tossing around a football? And then, of course, there's the uh, there's the all-time favorite when uh, Johnny confronts Lisa. Oh, man. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. The infinitely quotable, uh, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. (laughs) 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 And he says it with such conviction, you know? I mean, all right, look, look, here's (laughs) here's the thing. Tommy Wiseau is obsessed with James Dean, like incredibly obsessed. And there's a scene in the movie, Rebel Without a Cause, where James Dean looks at his parents and he screams as loud as he possibly can, no, you're tearing me apart. 
that was the inspiration for what you just delivered. I think you actually did a better job than he did. <laughs> it's incredible um, because the way the way Tommy Wiseau acts, he kind of just vacillates between kind of like sedate to to overly over the top. <laughs> I remember when he came to my school, there were posters like plastered all over the campus with just that image of him screaming. And I couldn't help but laugh every time I walked past it. Oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> oh, wait. And then, of course, there's a, there's a scene. It's early on in the movie, but it's very, uh, very subtle. The scene in the flower shop. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> so, Johnny, being the loving, doting fi- uh, fiancé that he is, goes to a flower shop to pick up flowers for Lisa. It is some of the most uh, uncomfortable 30 seconds you'll uh, you'll ever see. So Johnny, he goes to uh, the flower shop to pick up flowers for Lisa. He uh, goes inside and he said, and the shopkeeper instantly recognizes him. And, no, he says, like, you know, and it's shot, like, so quickly, so rushed. And if you look very like closely... A, you could actually see that the lips don't match with the dialogue. No, they, they don't. It's like, the, the dialogue goes like this. Like, yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. She goes to get the flowers, and she's like, here you go. That That's me. How much is it? going to be $18. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Yeah, just the... And that's the scene. Just the incredible, like, brain fart that must have shat out that dialogue sequence is... Mm. <laughs> Classic. Mm, it's a... Perfecto. Mm, perfecto. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Um but yeah, needless to say this movie took over a year to make and when they finally got it done, I think some of the actors on their last day of shooting actually ran off the set just saying like, "Oh, thank god it's over." I mean, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, they edited it and this film has some of the most unusual promotion I've ever seen because it was, there is for the promotion, it was a single billboard of just Tommy Wiseau's face, but in mid blink. As if he's just waking up from a nap or something. Yeah, this the this is the film poster face, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. It, yeah. And oh my god, 
Uh, apparently, it stayed up in that one location. You know how a lot of films, they like to keep their billboards up for prolonged periods, you know, just to get people excited and to make sure people go see it. And that's usually lasts about like, you know, three to maybe six months. Well, this poster was up on Highland Avenue and Fountain Street in Hollywood for five years. <laughs> so uh, imagine from, I guess, 2003 to basically 2008. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just five years of people in Hollywood having to endure the eye of Sauron of fucking Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, and apparently um, he uh, Tommy Wiseau also paid for a small television and print campaign around L.A. Apparently he called uh, the room uh, a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams. It's just absolutely incredible. Because, um, yes, when people see The Room, they immediately think uh, Streetcar Named Desire, Glass Menagerie, or Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. By the way, just to uh, just to make clear the, I guess, the, the brilliant madness of Wiseau, Remember we said the billboard was up for five years? Mm-hmm. It cost $5,000 a month for that billboard. Okay. okay, let's think about this. 5 k a month, 12 months a year, that's $60,000 for five years. It's 300 that's- Tommy Wiseau spent $300,000 of his own money to have his face, to literally have his face in Hollywood. And uh, and when asked, um, he responded. Uh, this is from an interview in the LAist. And he said, well, we like the location and we like the billboard, so we feel that people should see the room. We are selling DVDs, which are selling okay. I think they're selling more than okay at this point. Like I said at the beginning, it's our generation's uh, Rocky Horror. So naturally, in the months that after it was released, by the way, it was released to horrible reviews with people literally laughing at the screen 30 minutes in. Yeah, and uh, people walked out and demanded their money back even before, like, even before that. <laughs> oh, uh, let, me, uh, let me give you an example of some of the criticism about The Room, or specifically uh, Tommy Wiseau himself. Uh, IFC.com, they describe Tommy Wiseau as... Borat trying to do an impression of Christopher Walken playing a mental patient. <laughs> which which probably would have been a better movie. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, can, can you imagine uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in this movie? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. I think it would have made it worse. Yeah. Just him going, uh, my wife, the whole time. It's uh, My wife. It's, uh, and The Guardian, um, in their review, describes the film as a mix of Tennessee Williams, Ed Wood, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. Oh, because it takes place in, like, one location? That's how it's become Trapped in the Closet? Uh... T- I can't even explain this logic. And by the way, they never even say what fucking room it is. I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Currently, it's sitting at a comfortable 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Which sounds about right. Which uh, probably it's more. It's higher than it ought to be. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. But yeah. Evidently, people got the idea to show this movie at midnight screenings, and hence. A legend was born. Yeah. Um, the afterlife of the room is, it's, it's just so bizarre. You know, word of mouth spread and, and the reputation of the movie, you know, everyone's saying just how terrible it is. So, yeah, they put it up on midnight showings and then the DVD came out, I think, 2005 or 2006. And for our enjoyment it's been available ever since yes it has now let me ask you when was the first time you saw the room it probably was when whenever uh adult swim did a uh, did a april fool's joke it was probably when was that when was the first time they did that i think it was seven or eight years ago mm-hmm all right. When did you see The Room? I first saw The Room in college. I first saw, first saw it as part of a as part of a, a review. When I was in college, I used to watch this guy online called the uh, the Nostalgia Critic, who uh, basically reviews old movies and trashes the ever loving shit out of them. And one week he did The Room. I didn't see the whole thing. I saw bits and pieces and I just knew this movie was terrible. And one day I'm walking along to lunch or to dinner, whichever. And I see these posters on the wall and it says, um, it says, you know, you are tearing me apart, Knox college. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, what's going on? And then it's just as a location. And then it says featuring in person Tommy Wiseau. I'm like, wait a minute. He's coming here to this remote school in the middle of Illinois. And he's actually coming there. And that night was when I saw it for the first time. And 
oh my god, it was as advertised, and then some. And let me just say, I said Tommy Wiseau like is as at, he's he is as advertised. That is, I'm gonna reiterate that he is as advertised. When uh, somebody actually bothered to ask him a question, he actually said, uh, "I do not like this question." Next. Incredible. Yeah. And uh, if you want a little taste of that, uh, just look up one of the special features on the DVD. Um, Greg tries to uh, ask him a few questions. And, uh, well, aside from the ones that are obviously dubbed in, uh, <laughs> he, he tends to answer in non sequiturs. Yes. I can't Absolutely. even remember specifically which questions he dodged, but god damn. I'm pretty sure he dodged all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um it is um it is quite the interview. He was he's sitting in front of a fireplace, uh and there's a uh, there's props from the movie on the mantle. And of course, next to him is a framed poster of the movie. Mm-hmm. Say what you want, but he's uh, he's extremely pr- proud of his of his face. <laughs> yes, he is, and it's become quite the event to go and see this film in person. Oh yeah. Um, there are several moments. Like I said, you're supposed to bring plastic spoons. To it. The reason that for that is there's several moments throughout the film where the camera just cuts to this uh, picture frame of a spoon for some odd reason, and you're supposed to throw the spoons at the screen. Yeah, um, and it lingers. It lingers for the longest time. <laughs> it's just, it's just the, the incredible, like, I don't even know, like, structure of the movie is just, no one has any idea what, like, why things happen. I don't even think they care at this point. They're just going along with it. They're just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But, you know, folks, if you want to get an idea of just the nightmare that this production was, you know, either buy the book or see the movie The Disaster Artist. Because that'll give you all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Or at least, at least most of the answers. So The Disaster Artist is Greg Sister's memoir of, well, basically him making the movie. <laughs> and his experiences working with uh, Tommy Wiseau. It's a great book. It's incredible. Uh, everyone and their mother should read it. Mm-hmm. 
we've been uh, we've been pulling a lot of our material from this mo- from this book, and mm-hmm. it, it really is worth the read. Uh, just you know, all all of the things that don't quite add up again, like the seemingly endless <laughs> supply of money. <laughs> uh, how Wiseo developed, produces, direct, started the movie despite you know never being <laughs> never be never having been or affiliated with the film industry before the, the absurd camera setup which again he decided mm-hmm. to shoot in two formats simultaneously thus requiring two full crews to operate uh scripts being actively rewritten on set in the middle of scenes in some cases and yeah, what's funny is uh, Sestero didn't actually want to be a principal actor. No, he was just uh, he just wanted to be uh, just a guy in the background. He was uh, originally chosen by Tommy Wiseau to be the line producer. Yeah. And uh, someone else was cast as. Mark, but as uh, as fate would have it, uh, Wiseau conspired to uh, have Sestero be Mark. That's right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, in case people don't know, this is what a, a line producer. Uh, does uh supervising the assembly of the shooting company uh, recruiting key personnel and services production organization or how to shoot the script plans start dates for everyone and everything monitors the budget facilitates casting location scouting set building and decorating offices and stages wardrobe props stunts physical and visual effects camera lighting rigging Transportation, cast, crew, and u- cast, crew, and union relations, travel, cast, and crew accommodation, contracting of legal permissions and agreements, safety and risk management, and prep and shooting schedule. He's basically like the COO of a company. Yeah. And Tommy Wiseau gave it to Greg Sestero for... Again, reasons. <laughs> oh, boy. What a film. I'll tell you, what a interesting man, too. I have never seen a man who seriously tries tries in so many ways like to sabotage his own, his own product, his own success. Because... I mentioned the the nostalgia critic earlier. Well, Tommy Wiseau's company actually threatened the nostalgia critic with a lawsuit to, and he was forced to remove it, the review from his channel for a time. Yeah. And, and even there's, there's elements of it in the book too. And which I guess, you know, the overall message is, uh, there's a danger in in this kind of like delusion of your own dreams, and if you if 
you do, even if you do like your best and you try everything to realize your dreams, there's, there's a danger of you falling into just like fucking going insane or being already insane. You, you exacerbate your idiosyncrasies and your mania, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's quite revealing. Yeah. Which is why I guess, you know, as much as we say that it's a fucking bad movie, it's, it is art. It is, it, it is it's, art. It's incredible to see. It's, it's amazing to see just like how someone can be so deluded to think that, yes, this is a, this is a dark drama. Oh yeah, that's right. I, I forgot to mention, uh, he, uh, originally wanted the, he originally wanted the movie to be a, uh, a drama or a black comedy. Yeah. Um, after, you know, it was received as the garbage fire that it was, um, Tommy Wiseau eventually, uh, describe the movie as a black comedy even though clearly nothing about it is supposed to be intentionally humorous <laughs> oh my god well you know what it's provided nothing but entertainment to us for the past god 15 years absolutely So yeah, this movie came out in 2003. Um, early 2000s, also, those were some bad times for movies. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, it was the dark period. It was, it was quite dark. Um, I remember... Mm-hmm. Uh, Ballistic came out that uh, either that year or two thousand two. So, mm-hmm. oh, Ballistic X versus Sever. Yeah. Let's see what else came out that year. Uh, trying to think. Oh, Gili came out that year. Absolutely. Uh, from Justin uh, to Kelly. Kangaroo Jack. Kangaroo Jack. Catwoman came out in uh, 2004. So. Uh, Daredevil and Elektra came out in respective years. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Master of Disguise, uh, 2002. Uh, Freddy Got Fingered, 2001. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, 2003. Oh, my God. I feel so bad for Sean Connery in that one. I know. Me too. Uh, The terrible Tomb Raider films came out that year. Those years. Although, I do have to say, the Tomb Raider films are not as exceptionally bad. They were bad, but not as much of a steaming turd as some of the movies we've just mentioned exactly 
Oh, man. But yeah, um, it's going to be about 15 years strong. Uh, mm-hmm. Next week, December 8th, is the wide release of the movie adaptation of The Disaster Artist starring James Franco as Tommy Wiseau and brother Dave Franco as Greg Sestero. That's right. And you know what? I can't wait to see it. It's going to be so awesome. It is going to be a slapper. Oh, yeah, to say the least. I think, you know, um, they were right when after James read the movie. It's like this. There's an incredible story in, in the in the making of the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And his decision to basically pull a Tommy Wiseau and not only star in it, but direct it as well. Hell yeah. I feel like he was like trying to get inside, uh, you know, Tommy Wiseau's head and say like, you know, okay, what is this guy all about besides the uh, unplaceable accent? But uh, beyond James and Dave, uh, Seth Rogen's in it. Allison Breeze mm-hmm. in it. Zach Efron's yep. in it. Hannibal Burris. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Jason Matsukas, Megan Mullally, Christopher Mintz Plus, and of course, and of course, Mm -hmm. Tommy Wiseau will appear. (laughs) Yes. Yes, the rumors are true, people. Tommy Wiseau has apparently, according to James Franco, a contractually obligated cameo appearance. (laughs) Damn, son. Yep. And uh, just in case you're wondering what uh, Tommy and Greg are up to nowadays, they are coming out with a movie. Oh, yes. Yes, they are. They're going to be back at it again. With uh, Best Friends. And the R is in brackets. So Best Fiends? We're, best we'll, fiends, we'll have best to see. friends. I... <laughs> it's one of those, but yeah, that's uh, that's coming out in 2018, and <laughs> I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, the production looks a hell of a lot better. The acting remains the same. I remember when I first saw the trailer for Best Friends, mm-hmm. and I said the exact same thing. I was like, I <laughs> I am glad to see that even though time and technology has changed, Tommy Wiseau remains the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, it's good to know. It's good to know. <laughs> so there you go. Um, besides the room, he's been he's been in, I guess, a couple of weird ones. Uh, he was in Samurai Cop too. Uh, very strange movie. Yes. Uh, it it was a Kickstarter and uh, Indiegogo production. So, yeah, this is what you get for crowdfunding movies, folks. You get a uh, <laughs> you get a somehow bizarre appearance by Tommy Wiseau in Samurai Cop Two: Deadly Ven- Deadly Vengeance. And uh, 
he apparently had a documentary about homelessness in America. Yeah. I have not seen that one. And he also created a sitcom. I'm not sure. Yeah, he did. I, um, I don't know if sitcom is, is the, right, the right word. No, no. Uh, he created... A, uh, it, it's called a, It's called The Neighbors, and it takes place either in an, an apartment complex or an office building, and... Um, you know what? I can't accurately describe it. You're just going to have to go look it up online because the, not only has the trailer been released for that, but there have been six episodes for it. Yeah. So this could probably be best described as a Tim and Eric fever dream gone wrong. And by the way, Tommy was also in an episode of Tim and Eric show. Yes, yes, he was. Boy, that that oh, was a my. doozy. Yeah, um, my friend showed it to me in college, and I'm just like, yeah, I did not think Tommy Wiseau could get any creepier. Yeah, and uh, just to make just to make everyone clear, in in this TV show, The Neighbors, Tommy plays dual roles. The protagonist and Ricky Rick, which is Tommy in a blonde wig. And oh if, God! Oh. And if you if you look him up, and uh, you can uh, hear my co-host uh, gagging and dry heaving, he kind of looks like he has those one of those I need to speak to your manager haircuts. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, that's the best way to describe it right now. Jesus Christ, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Apparently his reasoning is that I want to show people that I have range. You can't just slap a blonde wig on yourself and say you have range. <laughs> Woo! What the fuck? What? What? <laughs> what the hell is this? What am I looking at? What is this? Who are you? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I believe that's on Hulu Plus. Uh, please don't don't support this. Please, please don't actually watch this. <laughs> please no. Just please no. So yeah, um, that is the room, and mm -hmm. uh, that is the phenomenon of this incredible disaster. Mm -hmm. This disaster artist, if you will. Yep, and. Uh, like we said, the disaster artist coming out actually next week. Please mm -hmm. see it. Yeah, go see that. It's um, it's already got 
incredible reviews. Uh, standing ovation at South by Southwest. Um, Rolling Stone gave it three and a half stars out of four. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Variety said uh, movie has genuine capacity to delight whether or not the audiences in question have seen the room. But obviously, see the room before you see this movie and you'll have a much better yes. appreciation. Oh, absolutely. And the kicker, um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a staggering score of 96%. So yeah, basically the polar opposite of the movie that it's uh, chronicling. Pretty much. Who knew that it would have it would have more success a movie would have more success about the making of that shitty movie rather than the shitty movie. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think I'll close out with one of the with one of the incredibly bad songs from one of the numerous love scenes in the movie. Oh, please do, please do. It's only fitting at this point. By the way, um, we didn't actually go into detail about the love scenes, but if you've ever seen the Lethal Weapon uh, sequel, that the that the gang from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia made. You know how Danny DeVito fucks a whore. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, just think of that, but uh, ten times worse. Yeah, just basically this, this Tommy Wiseau, imagine him, his ass is bobbing up and down. <laughs> For like five minutes. For for five minutes. And he's not even he's not even doing it right. I mean, yeah, and set I yeah, I know that sex scenes are all uh, are all choreographed for mainstream films, but at least look it at least looks like they're having sex on screen. This I don't know, he's not even <laughs> he's not even aiming in the right spot. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's almost kind of like he's just dipping his like pelvis up and down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So there you go. Oh, and uh, when Adult Swim uh, played the uh, movie on April Fool's, they censored Tommy Wiseau's ass with black bars. It should, uh, yes, thank, thank them. Thank, thank them for that, because nobody should ever, ever have to see that. In a sense, uh, you, you're not just watching the movie at those points. You are subjected to it. Mm-hmm. Like the agency of your act of watching is just removed. <laughs> You are basically held hostage for the five to seven minutes that Tommy Wiseau's ass is bobbing up and down. You know that scene in A Clockwork Orange where um, the, the Ludovico guy, uh, <laughs> technique. 
the, the little technique. He puts those little, uh, those little like pl- those little like pins against the uh, Malcolm McDowell's eyes, and he's like forced to watch all those uh, scenes of violence. That's what that scene is like. It's exquisite, absolutely mm-hmm. exquisite. Well, that's another that's another episode in the can, folks. Yes, it is. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this as much as we did because, man, <laughs> we we have been waiting to talk about The Room. Since we first started, we have said we have to talk about this at some point. And we... And we will make a sequel to this episode when we when we finally watch The Disaster Artist. Yes. Yes, we will. And uh, because great trilogies come in threes, uh, we will also see Best Friends at some point. Mm-hmm. Sometime when it comes out in 2018. And, uh, you know, that's the great mystery is actually I have not been able to see a date on when that movie is actually coming out. <laughs> I know, same here. Like I, I follow, I follow the movie on both Facebook and uh, and Instagram, but uh, still no uh, no release date yet. Yeah, it's this incredibly vague twenty eighteen release date. Apparently, it mm. has been screened at a film festival, so it's just probably a matter of distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's already yeah. It is slated for early 2018. That's what they said. One can only hope. Uh, exactly. All right. This has been questions like this. My name is Aristo, and I'm Alex. And uh, please, please enjoy this beautiful song known as "You're My Rose" from the Room soundtrack. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.
Mama.